peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God. My name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here at Bray Park Community Church, and it's great to have you join with us today. These are uncertain and unusual times. And as thankful as I am for technology, for the ability to to stream into your home, I would much prefer for us to be together, to see your smiling faces, to hear your voices. In fact, I especially missed your singing voices this morning. In this empty auditorium, I could hear my voice loud and clear, which is not a good thing. Now, when we go through extraordinary times like this, extraordinary times, we need what we've always had, the extraordinary good news of the gospel, the finished work of Christ, the endless power of the Spirit, and the enduring truth of God's Word. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, which is a a chapter of the Bible that we'll touch on today, we read these words. All people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The coronavirus and things like it are temporary. In fact, from the perspective of eternity, they are little more than a blip on the radar, but the word of God endures forever. And so we're going to now turn our attention to God's Word. We're going to open it up together to be reminded of who our God is and what He has done for us. So as we prepare to do that, would you join with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are eternal and unchanging, that you are our refuge, our hiding place in times of confusion and difficulty. And Lord, we thank you that your Word is enduring that it shows us and tells us of your promises and your truth. And Lord, thank you that you sent your son Jesus from heaven to earth for us and that in him there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And thank you for the presence of your spirit, the comforter who leads and guides us into all truth. We pray now that as we open up your spirit-inspired word, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to obey, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers for the good of others and the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last two months, we've been exploring what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics that God is producing in our hearts and in our lives. And I really believe that God has been preparing us to become a people marked by the fruit of the Spirit in such a time as this. People marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
And today we come to look at gentleness. Now what comes to your mind when you think about gentleness? Maybe it's a mother nursing her newborn, or maybe a nurse caring for a patient. This might not be what you expect, and it might sound a little bit crass, but when I think about gentleness, I think it's kind of like cleaning the toilet. Bear with me. It's one of those things that we know is good for us, we know it needs to happen, but we'd rather leave it up to somebody else. I mean, gentleness is a trait that we find admirable in other people, but we don't really prize it or pursue it ourselves. We don't really find it useful or helpful. In fact, it was Coco Chanel, and hopefully this is the first and only time I'll quote Coco Chanel in one of my sermons, but she said, gentleness doesn't get work done unless you happen to be a hen laying eggs. Now, we might not say it in the same way as Coco, but this is how we often think about gentleness. We think that to be gentle means to be weak, to be feeble, to be something of a pushover. Sure, you may need to be gentle if you're a nurse or a counsellor or a pastor, but we live in a dog-eat-dog world. If we want to get things done, if we want to climb the ladder, if we want to protect ourselves or promote ourselves, if we want to make sure we have enough toilet paper in a pandemic, we need to be tough, we need to be ruthless, we need to be assertive, we need to fight for our rights. In our world and in our lives, we don't value gentleness as we ought. Now, I don't mean to generalise, but maybe this is more of a male problem. I think gentleness comes more naturally to women, whereas we tend to expect toughness from men. And we tend to think of gentleness as being unmanly. And perhaps this is why men especially don't value gentleness, don't pursue gentleness, don't pray for gentleness. It was George Bethune who wrote in 1839, so a long time ago, he said, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition, to personality or external manners than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. When was the last time that you asked God for help to grow in gentleness? I've got to admit, prior to doing this study on the fruit of the Spirit, I can't remember ever consciously praying for gentleness. And this is a problem because, as George Bethune points out, to not be gentle is sin. It might shock you to realize how often the Bible talks about gentleness, how often the Bible calls on us to pursue gentleness. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, we read Paul writing, and he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, Paul writes instructions to a church leader and he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. 
Philippians 4 puts it very simply. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not an optional extra for the super spiritual. Gentleness is essential Christianity. It's Christianity 101. This is also why gentleness is an essential trait of church leaders. 1 Timothy 3 says that among other things, an elder is to be not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. All of God's people, especially its leaders, are to be gentle. And so the question that we need to answer is, well, what does this mean? What does this look like? How can we grow in gentleness? And these are the questions that I'd like us to explore briefly today. Number one, what is gentleness? Number two, where does gentleness come from? And number three, how can gentleness be cultivated? So let's begin there with question number one. What is gentleness? Now for us to appreciate what gentleness is, we need to understand what gentleness is not. For example, gentleness is not a personality type. It doesn't matter if you are loud and outgoing if you're, or if you are quiet and reserved. All people, regardless of personality, are to pursue gentleness. After all, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of our personality. Secondly, gentleness is not a lack of emotion. Gentleness does not mean that we have to suppress our emotions. Gentleness means we need to learn to moderate our emotions and to respond in a kind and healthy manner. Thirdly, gentleness is not just niceness. To be gentle does not mean that you will always agree, that you will never get angry, that you will never be passionate, that you'll always try to please everybody. That can actually be a false kind of gentleness that is driven more by fear than virtue. Fear of confrontation, fear of displeasing other people. Gentleness is more than just niceness. Fourthly, gentleness is not charm. A person who is charming may appear to be gentle, but beneath all of the smiles and the compliments, there is often not the desire to help other people, but to get something from other people. Fifthly, gentleness is not weakness. To be gentle does not mean to be a pushover, to be weak. In fact, as we'll see, it's the opposite. Gentleness requires strength, but it's strength under control. Let me explain it this way. When my three-year-old or almost three-year-old son, Knox, plays with my almost one-year-old daughter, Eden, I often have to remind him, hey, buddy, be gentle. Why? Because he's bigger than her. He's stronger than her. He needs to learn to restrain or to control his strength if he wants to be gentle. And this is a good way to understand gentleness. It is strength under control. In fact, the word for gentleness in Galatians 5, it is the Greek word, proutes. Now, this is the same word that would have been used back in that day to describe when a horse had been trained to obey. Now, a horse is an incredibly powerful creature, aren't they? They can pull massive amounts of weight. They can run incredibly fast. But a horse can also be trained to obey with just a touch, with just a bit of knee pressure or with just the pull of a rein. Now, it's not that that horse has become weak or has lost their strength. Rather, their incredible strength has been brought under control. And this is a picture of gentleness. 
strength under control. And so when it comes to the way that we treat other people, it means we handle with care. Billy Graham defines it this way. He says, gentleness is mildness in dealing with others. It displays a sensitive regard for others and is careful never to be unfeeling for the rights of others. In other words, it's kind of like the way that we would carry a box of Royal Doulton wine glasses. We would be careful with these things. We would handle that box with great care because we recognize the great value, the great fragility of what we're carrying. And if we do that with wine glasses, how much more should we do that with people? especially people who are made and created in the image of God. We handle with care. Gentleness is not about being weak or a doormat or a victim. Gentleness is about strength under control for the good of others. And we see this to be especially true when we look to God. And this leads us to our next question. Where does gentleness come from? Now, that's a good question. Why is there gentleness in our universe at all? If, as many people suggest, we are simply evolved primates, if, as Richard Dawkins suggests, our universe has precisely the properties we should expect, if there is no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, in other words, if all of this is random chance and meaningless matter, then why is there gentleness in our universe at all? Why does it matter that we treat one another gently? Wouldn't it be more logical to fight for our rights? To get what we want when we want it? To trample over other people? To take all the food and all the toilet paper and who cares about anyone else? Why is there gentleness at all in our universe? And the Bible would say it's because we have been made in the image of a gentle God. We are to be gentle with others because God has been gentle with us. Think about our definition of gentleness, strength under control. Now, God is the one with ultimate strength, with ultimate power. Think about the size of our universe. Think about the incredible forces of nature. They are but glimpses of God's sheer power. And yet, when God deals with his creatures, he restrains his power. He is gentle with us. Now we see both the the power and the tenderness of God in Isaiah chapter 40, that chapter I read for us a little earlier. Now it is a chapter with vivid descriptions of God's power. If you read it, you'll see that God is the sovereign Lord who rules over the nations, that the waters of the oceans fit into the hollow of his hand, that he can weigh the mountains like ingredients of of a cake that the nations are like a drop in the bucket to him. I mean, he is the God with all power, with all strength. And yet alongside these descriptions of God's power, we read these words in verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The all-powerful God deals gently with us. He is like a shepherd with his sheep. He gently leads and guides us. He changes us and transforms us. He gently woos us back when we stray. He gently speaks to us in words that we can understand. John Calvin said that when God speaks to us, he is like a nanny talking baby talk to his children. 
God condescends to us. He is sensitive to our needs. He is gentle with us. Have you ever seen a lioness carry her cub with the same jaws that rip other bigger animals apart? She gently carries her cubs. And that is a great image of God's gentleness. It's like the prophet Isaiah says elsewhere in chapter 42. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, do you sometimes feel like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick? Like you're about to to burn out? Are you painfully aware of your weakness? Have you been wounded by sin and suffering and sickness? Do you ever feel like you're not enough? You need to know that God is tender and gentle with your wounds and with your weakness. We see the gentleness of God really on full display in the life and the character of Jesus Christ. Remember the words that we heard from Matthew 11? Remember the invitation from Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, all you with baggage, with a past, with regrets, all you parents who wish that you'd raised your children better, all you husbands and wives who are barely hanging on, all you young people who feel like you're going nowhere, all you older people who are filled with remorse, all you who are sexually confused, all you who have failed, all you who are searching for truth, all you who are anxious about a virus, it's you that I want. You are invited to come to me. And the promise is that if we come to Jesus, he says, I will give you rest. Isn't that what we all need? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. At the heart of Jesus is gentleness and humility. And you will find rest for your souls. To follow Jesus is not to be enslaved to a harsh taskmaster. It is to find rest for your souls because he carries your burdens on his back. There's only one set of footprints in the sand and he bears your sins in his body on the tree. And when we come to Jesus, he does not treat us as we deserve. He treats us as we truly need with compassion, with gentleness, with mercy and with forgiveness. And when we experience the gentleness of Christ, when we are filled with his spirit, it means that you and I are empowered to become gentle, to grow in the fruit of gentleness. And that leads us to our third and final question, which is how can gentleness be cultivated? How can we grow in the fruit of gentleness? Now, to help us do that, I'd like to show us briefly what gentleness might look like in our lives. I'd like to give us four characteristics of the gentle Christian. And I'll borrow these from Jerry Bridges in his book on the fruit of the Spirit. The first is this. The gentle Christian will make others feel at ease. The gentle Christian will make others feel at ease. Do people feel free to share openly with you? Do people feel comfortable to be honest with you? Or do they 
feel like they have to hold back from you because you're always judging them or you're always correcting them. We should not be so strongly opinionated and fiercely dogmatic that other people are afraid to express their opinion around us. We should be sensitive to other people's opinions and ideas. We should not dominate the conversation with our view. We should be willing to admit when we're wrong because the gentle Christian will make other people feel at ease. Number two, the gentle Christian will show respect. The gentle Christian will show respect. When we do need to engage with someone, whether it is to discuss an issue, to confront an error, we do so with kindness and understanding, not domination and intimidation. And this is especially true when it comes to sharing Christ with others. In fact, in words that I think are especially appropriate at this time, we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I hope and pray that in these next weeks and months, you have opportunities to share with people the hope that you have in Christ. I hope that people will look at you and say, how can you be so calm? How can you be so at peace? And I hope you are able to share with them the hope that you have in Jesus. And as you do that, I hope you are able to do that with, as Peter goes on to say, gentleness and respect. We commend Christ to others by our hope-filled living and by our gentle nature. Or as Rick Warren puts it, we are never persuasive when we are abrasive. We treat others with respect. The gentle Christian will also be quick to listen and slow to speak. Thirdly, the gentle Christian will be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, it is not wise, it is not loving, it is not right for a Christian to say, I speak my mind, and that's just the way I am. I just say it like it is. It's not my fault if they get offended. Besides, it's the truth. They should be able to handle it. No, it is up to you to control your tongue, to moderate what you say, to be sensitive to the feelings and opinions of others. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Now, there are a lot of people coming to ruin on social media, via email, because there are a lot of people speaking rashly online, saying things that they would never say in person. And it's not wise, it's not loving, and it's not befitting of a Christian. We are called to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Fourthly, the gentle Christian will not be threatened by disagreement. The gentle Christian will not be threatened by disagreement. If someone opposes us or disagrees with us or presents a view contrary to ours, our natural response is to hit back or fight back, to get angry. But to be gentle is to slow down, to take a breath and to respond calmly and appropriately. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In other words, to answer someone gently means to pour water on the fire, not petrol. For example, let's say someone sends me a harsh email. If I respond back harshly, all I've done is added to the harshness in the world. Because harshness plus harshness equals more harshness. But if I respond gently, often that will diffuse the situation. Doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everybody. We won't always agree. That's just reality. But we can disagree without being 
disagreeable. And really, that shows great strength. I mean, to, to be able to moderate your emotions instead of being controlled by your emotions, it requires great internal strength. And the gentle Christian will understand that and will put that on display. Now, this is at least part of what it means for us to be gentle, to grow in the fruit of gentleness. And when we are growing in the fruit of gentleness, it will be and it should be obvious to others. Remember that passage from Philippians 4? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, we often want to put on display our success. We want our success to be evident to all. We want our good looks or our good home or whatever it is. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. We could paraphrase this verse as saying, the Lord is standing at my shoulder. He is near to me. He is ready to help me as I manage and navigate my relationships today. As I talk to and about others today, he is helping me to be gentle. And so let's remember this as we go about our ordinary lives, especially in this extraordinary time. More than ever, our world needs gentleness. And Jesus is near to you and he is sending you to be a gentle presence in this world and in our community. So let's pursue gentleness and let's pray that our gentleness might put on display and point other people to our gentle saviour. I don't know how long it will be before we can meet together again in person, but I do know that our gentle God is with us, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever and that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so let's come to him now in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are gentle with us. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to come to you and not the put together, not the shiny, not the impressive, but those who are weary and burdened. And Lord, if we are feeling that way this morning, then help us afresh to turn to you. Help us to find that you are gentle and humble in heart and let us find rest for our souls. Jesus, there is no one else in this world that has done for us what you have done and that can give us what you can give to us. And so we open up our hands to receive from you today. We turn to you knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And we pray this in your good name. Amen. Church, I want you to hear this blessing from the Word of God in 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. God bless you, church. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I can't wait to see you soon.